call him the Michael Jordan of our generation. Can you talk Wait. about your relationship with Dirk and uh, your memories? Yeah. yeah, Dirk Dirk and I have always had a great relationship um, because we're both extremely competitive and uh, also both extremely loyal to our teams. I mean, I'll tell you a story about Dirk. I mean, he was up for free agency, and I knew what his response was going to be, but just out of respect, I said, dude, everybody's looking around at all these free agents. I felt I'd just shoot you a text. If you want to come to L.A., you know, it's, and he goes, uh, dude, I would love to play with you, but Dallas is my home. This is my team. I'm not leaving here. And so, I, I, you know, he and I think a lot alike in that regard. Son of Slovenia, cool as hell. He scores the ball and he rebounds well. Welcome to 77 Minutes, the Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network, the only Dallas Mavericks podcast that would never, ever, ever, ever get their jersey retired in any podcast rafters. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Absolutely not. We are not worthy. They would give our number to the first person off the street to replace us. We we would barely play forty games with the franchise before they're like, get out get out of here. Like you flatter us by saying we get to forty. I was thinking like nine. I mean, on the scale of twenty one years with one team, um, yeah, we're forty is a long way from that. But okay, nine <laughs> nine might be safer. How many games can you play in the span of a ten day hardship contract? Like five. At most, on the maybe high four. End. On the high end, yeah. Yeah, let's say more, more, more realistically, probably four. Um, maybe we can sneak in four on a hardship basis. We're the Brandon Knight of Mavericks podcasts, or podcasts in general. Oh boy, man, pour one out for Brandon Knight. Out of all the people, yeah. I feel bad for. I feel bad for. That I didn't dude. want to make he, it about him, but he yeah. played three. It really like. You know, in terms of like the feeling of it, it's really a Theo Pinson reference more than anything because Theo's just kind of been there. But Theo got the second 10 day. Uh, Brandon Knight did some things and just had terrible luck, which Brandon Knight's had a lot of bad luck in his career. I do feel for that guy. He has. We haven't recorded in two weeks. Um, Oh, yeah. uh, We're not going to the Hall of Fame because I don't even remember how to introduce a podcast. I'm Tim Cato. (laughs) I write and talk about the Mavericks. Uh, Mike Pellucci's here. Uh, D Magazine's own Mike Pellucci. Indeed. He is um he is chilling as always. It's just us two. We're just uh we're gonna catch up on two weeks of uh we didn't record last week. It was the holidays, Christmas. I was on the road, but there just was not so much to say. There's stuff to say this week. Um oh. there's stuff to catch up on. Let's just work through a few things that like happened over the break. We're not even gonna structure it or format it or like rank them off. Um but let's just start very briefly with COVID and Really, the only takeaway is that wasn't a lot of fun. It was. It was. We're going to talk about the ways it was fun and the takeaways and, and dragaways that, that we are having from it. Um, but I was with the team uh, most of their road trip that started on Christmas Day in Utah. And I was with them as as players started dropping. Uh, there was one person on the team who told me, yeah, it just feels like every time you take the test, there's like an anxiety. There's a mild anxiety that, oh, this is, this is going to be the one that tests positive. And then... I'm going to be stuck in X city for oh. X number of days. Oh. Um, I never sure, thought about it that way. But it's yeah. sure. Look, look, they're in nice hotels and like they're going to get room service every day. And for a, for a staffer who doesn't have to like 
keep his conditioning up on a daily basis if he's not experiencing sy- symptoms in the in the minimal confines of a hotel room sure it's it's maybe not quite as hard um not, not you know people in the nba they they have a life that is at a higher average standard of living than than a lot of people. That aside, it is not fun to go through that. And even kind of being around the team, circling the team as they kept canceling practices and shoot arounds, um, like literally they couldn't hold shoot arounds by league standards uh, because of the because of where their testing was at and how many players were going positive. You know, there was one morning where like the only option would have been you know, play a game, wake everybody up at 8 a.m., test everybody, test them again, I think, at 3 p.m., and once both of those sets clear, they could practice at, like, 5. And, you know, those are the situations that the team is is really cast into. So there's a bunch of individual workouts, but it was just not a fun trip to be around, um, I'll be honest. So that's that's my my broad takeaway of how COVID is, and, you know, now Kristaps Porzingis is entering into health and safety as well. My broad takeaway is uh, COVID might be bad. Big if true. Very big. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that was a lot of me talking. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what we did learn and just kind of the takeaway or the idea that the Mavericks, when they were missing players and when they were lo- missing Luka, um, but importantly, <coughs> when they were missing Luka, Reggie Bullock, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Maxi Kleba, kind of looked fun on offense at times even on defense too yeah so they uh front of the program josh bow did a good piece of Moneyball, uh which is worth reading and he kind of tried to examine a lot of this um but really the big thing you know he he cited something cleaning you know per cleaning the glass and this before the thunder game on sunday they had over the last two weeks heading in, into sunday the fifth best net rating and the fourth best offense in the nba and Here's this is my broader thing. We can unpack from here, but like after two weeks since we last recorded, my takeaway is more or less like when all the COVID cases starting hitting, I think the universal reaction, and it's the only universal reaction that made sense at the start of this was this is gonna be a disaster. And what are we really going to learn by watching this team get demolished without their best players? They clearly didn't get demolished. They played some of their best basketball over the course of the season. Anybody who says that that's totally sustainable is kidding themselves because obviously you are better with Luka Doncic than you are not, right? But what happened in a lot of ways was significant. It is significant that they played as well as they did both from a standings perspective, that they treaded water like they did without so many players, that the underlying the underlying data was extremely positive. It means something that they did this without their best player, who, you know, one of the 10 best players in the game, as well as several key rotation pieces. What that means, I'm not sure yet. What that means as far as being sustainable, what that means in terms of rotations, who should play, who shouldn't, why this worked, why this didn't. There's a lot of stuff we don't know yet. And there's a lot of stuff that I think we're going to be figuring out in the next several weeks as this team gets reintegrated. But the big picture takeaway from these last two weeks is that we saw something that was way more interesting than we thought, but also something that mattered a lot more than we thought. Uh, and I mean, for me, it starts in some ways with, you know, with the ball movement, you could talk about this, you were there, but Jason Kidd had a quote sometime late last week. I forget which game it was, but he said basically like, uh, you guys are seeing that we're like moving the ball a lot better. Right. And I don't think, the context of this was intended to be a slight at anybody. This isn't about what was happening when Doncic was there or not. 
But it was just a note that, hey, this little scrappy band of underdogs, it's working because they're working together. And they moved the ball in a way that it does make you wonder how can they get a little bit more of that going on when this team is at full strength because that did fuel some of this. Are you sure it wasn't meant as a slight? I mean, you know, there could be some blood feud I'm unaware of, but I'm going to I'm gonna take this at, at the better nature that uh, Jason Kidd does not want to alienate his star player. Okay, so so slide is strong. Um, I'll give you my read on it, but I'll, I'll tell you, I asked that question. Uh, it was the opening question. Another weird thing about COVID times, I was the only reporter on that trip. Um, there was times when it was me, Jason Kidd, and Scott Tomlin, their PR director. In I was told that there together. is another reporter in Dallas who has the best access of anybody at all. So the fact that you were the only <laughs> reporter there makes me raise my eyebrows, Timothy. Was I being sold a bag of goods on Twitter? I don't know. I don't know. All I'm saying is I was the only reporter on that trip. And so I asked him that first question in that game. Um, I think it was, I believe it was after Portland. And without remembering the exact phrasing of the question, it was something to the extent of how do you juxta, you know, the, there's a juxtaposition between how you guys are playing without some of your key players versus how you played before. Like, how do you rationalize that? Or, or how do you approach that reality that this team and their offense is playing in a lot of the ways that I feel like, you know, you talked about, but that's me kind of asking the question to kid. It was something to that extent, extent, you, you know, typical Tim Cato question. I ask it in way too many words, but he immediately says, well, it's not like we were, it was all bad, you know, the beginning of the season. So he actually def- like pushes back on my question a little bit. And then at the end of the answer, gets to that quote. It's not a slight. He is not slighting Luka Doncic. He's not slighting any of the players who are out. We've seen that as those players come back, they have largely regained the roles that, you know, they had before they went out. I do think it's a tiny bit of frustration, or at least I read it that way, you know, seeping out from Jason Kidd, where the team that he was coaching in Portland and Utah um, throughout this stretch was finally playing a lot closer to the way that he's been instructing them to play and telling them to play and envisioning that they could play. And he's like, see guys, that, that works. That works. And the weird thing about player freedom is that he's not going to crack down on Luca and aggressively take touches away from him or aggressively tell him that, you know, like call plays from the sideline or, you know, it's, it's going to be a gradual process to get Luca to turn him into somebody who is not a static uh, player who is only involved offensively when the ball is in his hands. And that is what he is right now. You know, it's probably going to take a lot better conditioning. If you want him running around off screens, off the ball, I don't know if he's able to do that at this moment. So it's going to take a lot of things coming together all at once, but I I did read it that way, and um, and Jason Kidd seeing the team coming together in the way that he thought, you know, from the very start of the year that they could, and him being like, was I wrong? And I don't think it's any coincidence. One of the conclusions I came to on that road trip watching those games, um, I think it was after Portland that I wrote this, is that those four players who were missing, those were four rotation players. I think those are the 
main for ball stoppers on the team. Luka's not a ball stopper in the sense that he won't pass. Obviously, he will. But he does dribble a lot. He does muddy up the offense. He does initiate slowly. The Mavericks' pace has been slow for ages. And, you know, a lot of his passes are passes to assists rather than passes to the, you know, an advantageous part of the offense to advance closer to its next shot. And Tim Hardaway Jr., Maxi Kleba, and Reggie Bullock are not players really at all who make passes that move the offense forward. Um, it's kind of like the um, like the soccer thing. You know this. Like progressive, yeah. pa- progressive passes is one of the – or just progression right. in general. If you can progress because, – because goals are so, you know, hard to come by because there's such a small statistical event in soccer – a lot of your value as a player is gauged in how much you can progress the ball up the pitch and progress the ball closer to goal. And players who do that really well and effectively and consistently are graded really highly. And I think those four players, Luca in a very different nuanced way, but those other players um, in very like stagnant ways don't really progress the ball in ways that the players we saw on the court during that stretch of games did. Yeah, and I think it, you have to put it in the bucket of won't versus can't. I think Tim can, and I think Tim is kind of geared to get his own shot and get his offense. And to be fair, that's what they paid him a lot of money to do. Whereas I think with the other two, they're just more limited. I will say that one of the positive signs from this stretch was that I Dorian Finney-Smith moved the ball a lot better than I think we would have ever anticipated he could have. That He's kind of dynamic. Yeah, and... It's another little feather in his cap. Like, again, small sample, sustainable, I don't know. Uh, but it goes to show you that sometimes when you think players are solved, maybe they're not, depending on the circumstances. I do think, weirdly, if you if you really consider it, you know, this we, we continue our ongoing evaluation of Jason Kidd and what he does or doesn't do. And certainly he has not had this full roster at its full potential to, you know, for a long enough sample for us to say one way or the other. But in a way, you could really argue that, like, Jason Kidd, this might be in some ways our most pure window into what Jason Kidd wants to do and how it gets results. Because if you look at the players on the floor, right, like like you said, player freedom. Like Luka Doncic does not have to listen to Jason Kidd. I believe he wants to most of the time. I believe he's receptive to that based on everything we know. But if you look at who was on the floor for Dallas, how many of these players had long-term job security and a carved-out role? It was basically Kristaps Porzingis. It was a manager and a lot of guys who need a new deal soon or are a Dwight Powell who needs to secure his minutes when it's a crowded big man rotation, or a lot of guys on 10 days who just need jobs and need to prove, yeah, I can listen to the coach so I can be here the rest of the year. So if there was ever a mix of players who would stand the best chance of doing exactly what Jason Kidd wanted, it was this group. And they did a lot of good things. So like it, I don't know what that says in the bigger you know evaluation come year's end. But it does make you wonder, okay, well, for all the critiques of Jason Kidd and the way he hasn't evolved, if this is the group that might listen to him, he communicated some stuff that worked. That's that's certainly something. Real quick, I've I've uh I've monologued a little bit here. Out of the three um I, I mean I guess out of to me there's three uh hardship guys who potentially could get deals or have earned deals. Are there any to you that you think the Mavericks should really prioritize keeping around? Uh, it's probably Chris. I, I think that's yeah. the, the safe bet. Uh, and I think there's probably a decent chance that that happens. Um, I don't think Theo Pinson is Agreed really on giving... Agreed 
Yeah, I don't think Theo Pinson gives them anything they can't find elsewhere. Uh, and then, you know, I guess, who are you saying is the third one? Are you saying Knight? He's already gone, Knight, right? I thought Knight was pretty good. And if there's a way Knight that was he pretty clears good. protocol and you see room for him to come back, especially if, like, Tragic doesn't materialize, I think, yeah, I, I think there would be some value in that. Yeah, you could see. I could see maybe there. I mean, I, Charlie Brown ain't sticking around. Isaiah Thomas ain't sticking around. Um, Charlie Brown's Chris is the, gone, I think. He's yeah. In Philly so, now. Uh, so, God, they move so fast. They grow up so fast. Uh, but, yeah, Marquise Chris is clearly the one. Um, last time we, yeah, I think we so. did this podcast, we, we talked about how, like, let's see what it looks like after, you know, midway through another 10-day, which we figured he'd get. And I think the conclusion is that uh, there have been some highs, there have been some blah games, but he's certainly worth keeping around to give them a dimension that they don't have from these other bigs. Um, they've already waived Eugene Amori. Uh, I don't know if that's for a spot they could eventually be for Chris. I don't know if that's a Willie Cauley Stein move. Uh, he, can't, but, he can't be Chris. Uh, Eugene was a two way guy, and uh, Chris right, doesn't okay. qualify. So, so that it probably has to be somebody off the roster but i think at this point it could be pinson pinson could actually go on the two-way so okay and but that, I'm I, I to think, keep chris around um yeah they it, i think it would have to be like at this point it'd have to be collie stein i would imagine especially given he's been yeah. away from the team um right you know and not because you know we don't know what the personal issue is just strictly on a basketball floor merit i think there is a lot of arguments in favor of that i don't think willie we we know what willie mm. is we've seen willie willie even at his best is just essentially giving you a slightly better version of what dwight could do and he's not consistent enough to consistently well he's not consistently enough to dependably turn that in uh marquise gives gives you a dimension that they don't already have um right. i think if you know he provides that athletic spark he rolls to the rim hard and that is something they haven't had really since pre-dwight's achilles injury i think that's enough to stick around in this roster while the bottom of the roster hasn't been that dynamic this year yeah i don't think he's a very good uh defender not not no. that i've seen i, I mean that, that's been his downfall more. that's yeah. been his downfall every stop he's been at is that yeah the, no, but but honestly it was nice to see him have it like a clearly above the rim or yeah above the rim block uh in in monday's game I don't know. If oh, he'll tantalize you. He'll do things yeah. that make you think. I mean, there's a reason this guy was a top just, 10 pick. I, I guess I guess the point I'm trying to make is that it's nice to see a guy play above the rim for once. Um, Dwight Powell doesn't really do that. And uh, Colley Stein did it occasionally. Um, clearly, he's inconsistent and, and more bad than good defensively. But I, I thought that was a semi-useful thing. Yeah. The other thing that comes out of this, as far as an existing guy, uh, my you know, I, the captain of the Josh Green bandwagon, uh, have... As along with many other denizens of this fine city, have noticed his minutes ticking up even after players have come back. He's basically taken over a lot of Sterling Brown minutes so far. He's, uh, I mean, last night he played 18. Where do you see this going in terms of does kid trust him enough to keep giving him opportunities? This is kind of a, you know, give him rope, give him rope, just enough rope to hang himself. And then once he makes a mistake, we probably put him back towards the end of the bench. Where, where are you with this? Because that was one of the guys who I think. Mavs Twitter and Mavs fans have been most dependably excited about was Josh Green playing and certainly looking lively. I don't know if he was always statistically productive, but he looked exciting during stretches. Yeah, he played he played a little bit last season and he was bad. He was just a bad basketball player. He was not ready yet. Um, he wasn't playing to start this year. And all I could assume, not watching him play games and not having new data points, was that he hadn't progressed. He has progressed. He's catching up to the speed of the game a little bit. Uh, he's... <laughs> one of the best in the air passers I've ever seen. That's such a weird it's, of all the people skill. to have that skill. 
a very specific skill. And of all the people you'd think, yes, this person is great at that. You would not expect right. Josh Green, but he is really good at it. Yeah. That said, he is so pass focused that defense are going to shift and adjust to that um, now that there's some tape on him. Uh, and really, he's going to be he's going to have to hit two uh, threes. He's going to have to hit jumpers. Uh, we've we've seen throughout this stretch that he's a really good cutter. He can find his way around the rim. But when the ball is in his hands and he's driving to the rim, he has not really shown an ability to consistently finish when he gets there. Uh, he's hit a floater or two, but he's mostly missing those types of shots. And yeah, that's, that's going to add up. And, you know, he's a young player. He's still what? 21, maybe 22. I don't and think he's 22 yet. Is, yeah, I don't, I think he's still 21. This is why you play him. You see if you can develop that stuff. Um, I, I mean, he's not a playoff rotation guy or really even close at this moment, but for the first time, I'm actually seeing an NBA player and some NBA skills, and he's actually showing them on the court, and that's a positive development for him. Yeah, and if it's also worth noting that the best – there are several ways in which this could end up being a good outcome for Dallas. One is that he continues to progress, and he becomes some version of what you hope to be, whether that's actually the type of player that I and this organization clearly thought he could be in terms of a really good defensive stopper someday, or even just a useful rotation cog uh, in a year or two. But the other outcome, and we talked about this when Porzingis started his renaissance, you know, even if the the end game is in the next six weeks as they're trying to make deals, teams take Josh Green seriously as some sort of asset that you could put in a trade. For a team that needs to be, you know, competitive sooner than later, that's not a bad thing because there's probably a stretch, you know, not that long ago where you'd wonder what Josh Green's trade value is. If this stretch convinces some teams lower in the standings to be like, okay, we're seeing some things. He's still young. Maybe that's a guy we could package in a deal from Dallas to trade an asset we don't want. Then that could be a good outcome for the Mavericks too. He just needs to be. He just needs to be more than what he was, which is I don't know if we can play him and I don't know if we can deal him. And mission accomplished on that front. Very briefly, if if you can pack, package uh, Moses Brown, I would I would encourage them to do that. I, I don't think yeah. it's gonna. Yeah, I, I don't think, think it's gonna be more. I think we've very much seen the exact player he's gonna be. He will continue to be. And quite frankly, it's not a unusable NBA player, but it's basically Boban. It's really basically Boban. <laughs> and maybe in five years, he'll figure out NBA defense, uh, but he's not close to doing it right now. Yeah, well, and if you're going to talk yourself into, we want a young, exciting big man. I mean, Marquise Chris is older than Moses Brown, but Marquise Chris is also useful in small doses right now and is, what, still only 24, I believe, after, after everything. Uh, so you could still, if you want your younger project big man on the end of your bench you could just have one that can actually play now in marquis chris okay relevant nba players uh jalen brunson he's been mm -hmm. fantastic in this stretch he averaged 21 points and about seven and a half assists in the 10 games that luca missed we talked about him earlier this year and i think at one point i was like well it's really only that his minutes have gone up and i, I think his minutes had gone up like a few ticks but there's a significant difference going from 25 minutes to 28 minutes and 25 minutes to 31 minutes and maintaining uh -huh. a lot of his per averages. He's after, he is assisting more. Um, his, his shooting numbers are a tiny bit down, but he's still like a killer finisher at the rim. Uh, I wrote a story about him in The Athletic, uh, published Tuesday morning. Uh, I would encourage people to go check that out uh, because that's what you say on podcast. You say, I would encourage people to go check that out. That is the phrasing you have to use. And uh, it's out there. And uh, just 
you know, here's we're wrapping up a few minutes. Big picture thoughts on what we've seen from him. I think we're, I mean, it's removed any shadow of a doubt that he needs to be part of this team's long-term future. I think the, the big test, the last big test you really need to see, which we won't see to the playoffs, is what will he do in a postseason environment against a team that throws length at him? That's always been the, the, you know, the Achilles heel so far. But I think you owe this guy belief that he can overcome that, given that how well he continues to progress at everything he's doing. And even if the worst-case scenario is he can't totally conquer that, if this is your your third or your fourth piece, I think you know the trajectory for a while was, and I've said this, uh, if Jalen Brunson is your third guard, you're doing great. We're past that now. If now it's if Jalen Brunson is your fourth starter, you're doing great, right? If there's if there is a third, re, if there's a, another high level player that they could find to put with Luka Doncic, a healthy Kristaps Porzingis, and Jalen Brunson, I mean that fits the skill set they need, which is basically a long wing who defends. If they find that guy somehow, then you're looking about this team that could really win a ton. Um, but we, we're at, we're past the point now of, you know, before it was, all right, well, they're probably going to keep him, but what's the number? Now it's, you pay him starter money. He is a starter. Kids said that this is the starting backcourt with Hardaway coming off the bench. I frankly think that is the move uh, that should be made. I think Tim's best utility is coming off the bench being that fire starter. I think Brunson... You can't start all three of them defensively. No, you get cooked. You get cooked. And I... I Closing with them is its own challenge, and that might be a roster construction thing you've got to overcome at some point. But what I do know is Jalen Brunson makes things happen. Jalen Brunson is a dependable offensive creator with or without Luka Doncic on the floor. He has that all that intangible stuff that we hear matters. And from the outside, when you're not in a locker room, you wonder how much does it matter. Spoiler alert, it matters, and this guy has all of it. You want that dude on a winning team because that guy's a winner. He's been that way since college. He works hard. He busts his ass. He's a good dude. He brings everything you want tangibly. So, yeah, you pay him. And it's going to be, I mean, what? It's north of $20 million a year at this point, right? Barring some collapse, it's clearly 20 plus a year to keep him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I in that piece that I was that I wrote that I was talking about uh, by, with a quote from him where he's like, yeah, my teammates are my friends. Uh, I, I make a few friends off the court, but pretty much my teammates are my best friends. That's, you know, all the all I've ever really cared about is is uh, is my career and, and uh, my teammates. And I thought that was a, um, a telling quote of just the guy that is fully, fully basketball driven and focused and inspired. And also um, you know. something that I mean, you you have certainly written your share of this reporting and this reporting has been out there before, but for a team that has been so fractured at times, having a guy whose priority is I want to hang out with my teammates all the time. That's great to have. <laughs> that's that, you need people like that on a really good team, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. And he's really, he's really good. And he's yeah. gotten to that point that he is just, uh, he's an essential part of this team's future. Absolutely. I, I've written, you know, I, I've talked about his, his strengths and it's that he's, he operates really well in, in tight spaces and that he doesn't need, the burst or the separation that you're accustomed to seeing from um, from guards like his, especially his size, and that he's just able to operate within them. I, I mentioned that, it, that that to him, and he was like, "Damn, that's a good assessment." So I must be <laughs> on to something. Um, so I thought I thought I thought that was a cool thing. Um, the one thing he could do to improve is his three point shooting. And even in Monday's game, I saw him pass up a look, a pass from Luca that he sh- he should have just taken the corner three. And he pump faked and he dribbled and he and he drove and um, he ended up, you know, uh, it was a worse shot than if he had just taken the taken the look. 
Yeah, there are there are clear growth areas still. Uh, but just the leap that this guy has made is incredibly impressive. And I think that's the biggest thing to keep with us going forward from this stretch is that Jalen Brunson has continued to assert himself. I agree. That's a great place to end. Thanks, Mike. Uh, we're going to get out of here. See y'all next week. He plays Fortnite just like me. I am 34. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luke, a big dick Donchich from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you have? Don't fight the future. It tears me apart. Don't fight the future. Please be nice to Luca. Future four-time MVP. Oh, my God. Oh! Shut it down! Let's go home! It's a wrap, Doug! That is a wrap.